It is good to be here this morning. And you know what? It's one of the hardest things that I, that, that I think a lot of churches do is they make the church have to live through the life of the pastor, right? I need to live like Rob. I need to live like my pastor. I need to have faith like him. My journey needs to, to look like his. And I think that's the biggest lie. I think what we're, we are as, as ministers are those who point the path to how to follow Jesus. And the thing that I love about Brian and so many of you guys is that for you who have really embraced the ways of Jesus, people will follow you. Because there are many people in Brian's situation or in other people's situation that's saying, how do I follow Jesus? When I've gone through personal tragedies, when I'm in my 20s was, was divorced or something like that, whatever your tragedy is, and God uses individuals, and that's why we do the gospel story, is that people can be able to say, hey, you got a minute? Hey, can we grab coffee? I, want, I need to hear a little bit more, a little bit deeper. So, so thanks, Bri. Um, one thing before we get into the message, um, we are going into Lent. This coming Wednesday starts what? What's this coming Wednesday? Ash Wednesday. Okay? For a lot of Protestants, they don't celebrate Ash Wednesday. But Lent is a huge time of the Christian calendar. Uh, we don't do an Ash Wednesday service, but what we do is we go through a season of fasting. And so every year at the plant, we go through as a church a season of fasting. And in that season of fasting, whether it be the beginning of the year or Lent, we rotate it every other year. We, this year is Lent. Next year will be the beginning of January. But our goal is to teach you and equip you with the spiritual disciplines. That means fasting, prayer, reading the Word. And what we've done is we've put together a prayer book. Some of you have gone through this uh, a few years ago. But we're going to do the same thing. So here's what the fasting looks like. And we're gonna, we'll put a video up online tomorrow so we can explain a little bit deeper. But starting this Sunday, for six weeks, we as a church are going to be going into a season of fasting. Does that mean that you're not going to eat for six weeks? No, okay? You will die. It doesn't work that way. Here's what I want to challenge you with. This is the, this is the six-week fast challenge. Give up something that you hold dear. Facebook. <laughs> I can't live without that. Give up something that you know that can easily be a stumbling block in your life. To use that as a symbol, an opportunity to hand it over to God. For God to do something new and fresh in your life. And on our website, every single day, we are going to have daily readings, daily prayers, Direction for you to walk through the next six weeks. What is it that you're really struggling with? What is it that you want to see God do? What is it that one thing that you've been wrestling with God? We've been talking about prayer. We've been talking about some really big things in our lives. And maybe you're at the point of saying, God, I'm really sick of this. I'm really fed up with this. And it's time for me to give this over to you. That's what this next six weeks is about. It's about taking your eyes off yourself and putting them on Jesus so that Jesus can bring real transformation. And for me being the minister, there's often times that I can get caught up in like, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And just this week, God showed me, this is what I want to do in your life. This is the next step. So for me, over my next six weeks, God is going to be dealing with an issue in my life that I need Him to bring healing and hope and future to. Now all I'm going to do is say, okay God, what is that one thing 
for the next six weeks that you want to give up, that I want to give up. And just go from there. Trust me, you will not die. No matter what it is, if it's coffee, if it's Facebook, if it's meat, if it's breads, if it's television, you won't die. But I will promise you this. Whatever you're willing to surrender to God in obedience, God is going to speak to you in that time. God is going to do something special. And that's why we do this, because this is a regular, a regular discipline all throughout Scriptures. All throughout Scriptures. Jesus said, when you fast. He didn't say, if you choose to fast. He said, disciples, when you fast. So here's what I want to challenge you with. If you're a disciple of Jesus, I want to challenge you for the next six weeks to give up that one thing. Let's say you're saying, I'm not a disciple. I, I just, I just kind of come here and I kind of watch and I'm trying to figure out where I'm at. What a great opportunity to step one more foot into trying to hear God's voice in your life. One step closer. One step closer. So in these six weeks, you choose one thing. Don't choose multiple. We're going to change it up. Every year we change it up a little bit. What's that one thing that God wants you to just say, just give it to me for six weeks. He knows you're going to pick it back up again after six weeks, and maybe you won't. But what's that one thing? Okay? Okay. Now here's a beautiful thing. Every time we go through this, God does something special in someone's life without fail. Without fail. Let's pray. Jesus, it's funny how this morning we are talking about Abraham. And at the same time, we're bringing up this idea of fasting. Because there's something special that you want to be saying to us this morning. Something about the idea of, of trusting you with everything we have. Everything we own. Every bit and fiber of how you've made us. And God, we all confess that we easily get wrapped up in the wrong things. We easily get bogged down with the things that distract us from knowing You, from hearing You, from partaking in You. And so I ask You, Jesus, that over the next six weeks, that You would do something significant. In Christ's name, Amen. So here's what, give me about till Tuesday, we'll throw a video up explaining it a little bit more on Facebook. Um, we'll even try to put it up on the website, explaining how the book works, explaining what we're, what, um, how you can step into this challenge, and watch what God's going to do. So open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 22. I'm very excited about this morning's message. Um, I had the privilege of going down to Stevens Christian Fellowship at Stevens Institute of Technology this past week to really talk about uh, what we're going to share this morning. Um, I had a great opportunity to really have some good conversations with some students with this topic. Um, but the first thing that I really brought up was this idea of sacrifice. Think about this for a moment. What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to sacrifice? And why do you sacrifice certain things? Let me be completely transparent with myself. Sacrifice. Sacrifice is often done by myself and by others for selfish gain. Correct? 
Like we sacrifice things because we want to become better at something. Think about after, after Christmas. What do we all sacrifice? We sacrifice food so we can lose weight so that in our heads, in our minds, we feel better and we look better. I think about athletically. For me as a college athlete, I sacrificed every single day all the time until I had an injury with the hope and ambitions to play professional sports. I did everything. I was in the gym five, six days a week. And if I wasn't in the gym, I was trying to eat right or I was out on the field and I was running. And my hope was if I sacrifice, I will gain the reward of playing at the next level. Let's think about academics. For you who, are, who love school and you want to go on to get to college and to graduate school and to your, to your doctorate, that you sacrifice to take those next steps. So for me in high school, I really didn't like school. I only went to college to play college football. Otherwise, I would have done something else. I would have gone to the military. I was going to go work in the city and work in the union because my father had some connections. But when I got to college and I got my life right with Jesus, I said, okay, God, I believe you have a calling in my life. And so I need to get an education. And so I went to college in my last two and a half years, I finished strong. I worked three hours a day, no matter what it was, to graduate college. And then I had to go to seminary to get my master's in New Testament. And then I said, you know what? I really like this. I really like this idea of sacrificing my time to pour education into my life to be able to fill other people. And so then I went and got my doctorate. And I put all this time and energy sacrificing to obtain a goal. What about relationships? It's the same thing with relationships. We meet someone and we fall in love with them and we want to sacrifice to be in communion, community with that individual. But oftentimes our sacrifices are broken by events or others. And so when we look back on our lives and we look at all the sacrifices that we've made and we look at all the, the things that we're willing to give up, Oftentimes, our hope and dreams are disbanded for certain reasons. And other times, they're fulfilled. But here's the thing. What happens if we live the life of sacrifice to know God's perfect will for our lives? You see, last week we talked about one of God's names. Anyone remember what it was? One of God's names. What was that name that we talked about last week? El Roy. The God who what? The God who sees me. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at one more name before we go into Lent next week of a name of God that has everything to do of being willing to give up everything I believe in to know God's good pleasing, and perfect will. And the event that is brought up in Scripture is one that we, we've read before or we've heard, but the question is, does God really ask to have all of me? Does God truly want to have every single part of my being? 
And if I was to truly give up everything I have, myself, to His will, will He fulfill His promise? Because why are we terrified to do that? Why are we terrified? Because we believe that God will not fulfill His promise. Or let me, let me make it more human for us. God won't fulfill my hopes and my aspirations and my dreams. Correct? And that's the tension. Can I really trust God to do everything He said that He wants to do with my life? Let's read this. Genesis chapter 22. So sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Now just stop there for a second. One of the coolest aspects of Abraham's life when you study the life of Abraham is that Abraham came to the point that whenever he heard his name being called Abraham, he knew it was God. I mean, right away when God first approached Abram, who now is Abraham, he had this communication with God that whenever God spoke, he responded. To me, is like that's such an amazing aspect of this relationship is because whenever God called to Abraham, what did Abraham do? He responded. I think about my children that whenever, even if I'm in the kitchen and they're far away in their bedrooms and I say, Becky, yeah, Brandon, dad, Ben, hey, Luke, what do you want? Notice how he did all their responses perfectly. But I could be all the way on the other side of the house and they know my voice. Even my crazy dog, Jakey, He could be in someone else's yard, chewing on whatever. And I'll say, Jakey, he doesn't see me, but he hears me. And there's something that causes them to respond. At times fear, and at times joy. The beauty of parenting. But in that... Abraham always responds, Here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering, and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Now listen how quickly I read that story. I mean, think about this for a moment. This is a huge endeavor. 
God said to Abraham, go take your son, the one who was born to Sarah, the one who I had promised to make many nations out of, not a single nation, but many nations. This is the child that was promised to you. This is the one to the heir, to the people of Israel that is going to start the lineage to Jesus. And here's what I want. I want you to take him and go to a very specific mountain and I want you to sacrifice him. You see, this is a very important time in Abraham's life. Because for the vast majority of Abraham following God, God was always asking Abraham to do crazy things. He was asking him to leave his homeland, to leave his family, to to go to these places. He was asking him to trust him all along the journey. He was taking him from mile to mile to mile, from year to year to year. And all along, Abraham said yes. And all of a sudden, Sarah has this boy. And there's a period of time that there's no more testing, no more trying, no more difficult questions or riddles that he's supposed to solve. And it's almost like for Abraham, he's been living in this place of blessing, like finally my son is born and a people will come out of him. I can rest. I can retire. God is going to allow me to bask in the blessings that He's given me. Then all of a sudden, God appears on the scene once again. And He says, Abraham, I got the biggest test of your life. I want to see how much you really love me. Go. And sacrifice Isaac. Now think for a moment. I always think about how old is Isaac at this time. And have you ever think that? Like I wonder how old Isaac really is. So do me a favor. We got some kids in the room. We have a baby. Is there a baby over there? Can you stand up with your baby? Stand up with your baby. We got a little man back there. Everyone turn around. Brandon, stand up. And Brian, stand up. How old do you think Isaac actually was? How old? Brandon's age. Yeah, because Ben's mad at him. (laughs) How old do you think Isaac was? You see, all we know Isaac is that he was weaned from his mom. And when you study ancient history, when you study people like Josephus, Isaac was anywhere from the age of 5 to 25. Now think about it. The reason I'm having the baby and the teenager and everyone stand up, which one would be the hardest to sacrifice? Seriously. Matters what stage of life you're in, huh? Seriously. Because when I think about this, I'm thinking like, which would be, what, would, what stage of life would be the hardest to, in obedience, trust God with my child? Any. Any. 
Great job. Let's give him a hand. They can stop. But I oftentimes think about that. Like, what would be the hardest place as fathering to give up my child? Would it be the newborn baby? Would it be the, the, the three-year-old running around and just with that, with the bobby haircut? Like, I love that stage, mainly because the haircut just made them look like just so cute and just all over the place. Or my teenager. Or the stage that my son's about to come into life. Where his future is there and he's graduated school. Like, we have no idea. All we know is that God had asked Abraham to sacrifice that which was most precious. That which was most precious. Because our children are us. Our children represent our spouse. You ever notice that when you really love your spouse, like you just love your kids a little bit more? And when your spouse might be getting you a little bit angry, not that mine does, but like if they ever get you a little angry, do you find yourself, you have mommy's qualities. But that child is us. All of us. And God says, go take him. And so he loads up, he has the donkey, he has servants, and he has the supplies. And along the way, his son says, so where's the sacrifice? Where's the sheep? Where's the sheep? And the best part is is that Abraham says, God will provide. There's no sheep. Your kid is the sheep. Was he lost in translation? Was he hoping that something would change along the way because God would always do these things? Or did he fully trust that God was fully, fully in control. So Abraham placed the wood on the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked up together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, we have the firewood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Stop here. Now Brandon and I like to wrestle. The problem is I have a bad neck. So whenever after we wrestle, I go right to the chiropractor. The fact of the matter is I am still stronger than Brandon and will be stronger for a long time. Do you hear me, son? And Ben and Lukey, I will be stronger. I go to the gym at 5.15 to make sure my boys won't whoop up on me. But imagine that sight. We make it look so easy that Abram took his son Isaac and he tied him with the rope and he laid him softly on top of the wood. Can you imagine me taking Brandon 
And we all know Brandon, like enthusiastic beyond belief, trying to wrestle him and tie him up and then body slamming him on top of a bunch of wood and saying, trust me, I'm your father. I mean, think about this. This is what I hate going to church. It's like, yeah, and Abraham read, you know, laid his son down. And Abraham, this was just so smooth. Like, I wish I was Abraham. No, this was a mess. What are you doing with that rope? I'm going to play a little game. <laughs> Put your hands behind your back and close your eyes. Why are you tying me up? I mean, imagine the conversation between Abraham and Isaac. What are you doing? Trust me. Are you crazy? Be quiet. You're going to kill me. You're going to your room. Like, this was an insane picture. And then imagine, imagine, here we have it. He is laid on the altar, and this is a big long wood, and all of a sudden he's saying, Isaac, trust me. Trust me. And he cocks that knife back. And he is ready to kill him. He is ready to stab his son in the place that he would die instantly. I mean, think about it. He doesn't want his son to go through pain. He doesn't want his son to suffer. He wants this to get over with and say, fine God, you got your stupid way. I mean, literally, let's make this as human as we can. And imagine just the tears, the fear, the shaking. Imagine being there and this dude's knife's like this. And he's ready. And he's not going to go like this to him. He is going to take him out so that he dies right away and that it's over with. And he can go back down the mountain and then he's got to go talk to his wife. Good luck, cowboy. This is crazy. And yet God had a perfect plan for Isaac to be the father, the heir to many nations. How is he going to be the father of many nations if he's dead? It's impossible. And yet God asked Abraham to do the most ridiculous, stupid thing. Here's what the angel says. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! Yes, here I am, right? Yes, here I am! Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not held from me even your son, your only son, your promised one, the one who is going to continue your lineage through Sarah. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in a place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yeri, which means the Lord will provide. Another way to say it is Jehovah what? Jehovah Jireh, 
The Lord will provide. To this day, people still use the name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You see, you have this, that's, that, that picture where he's, he's ready to go. He's ready to kill his best. He's ready to kill his only. He's ready to kill all of his fortune to honor God. And God says, Abraham! Remember, Abraham knew the voice of God. He knew the voice of God so well that he was willing to put his son on the altar. He knew that voice so well that whenever God asked him to do anything, anything, he was willing to do it. And now when he heard that voice again, he said the same response, here I am. I'm not playing, God. I'm not playing. What you asked me to do, I am going to do in obedience. Here I am. I don't want to do this. I hate this. I hate what you ask me to do at times, but I'm willing to do it. And God sees him. And he says, I know you fear me. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me, not even your son, your only son. Then Abraham took Saul. He turned his head by chance. By chance. And there was a ram that was caught in the thickets by his what? By his horns. Talk about detail. Talk about how much God loves us. That when he tells us the story, it wasn't a ram that just walked by by chance or a a ram that got tripped up. It was a ram that was purposely put there by God that his horns were locked. It wasn't blemished. It wasn't hurt. It was a better, perfect sacrifice. And Abraham took it and he sacrificed it. And this is what the Lord says. Jump down to verse 16. This is the key to it all. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear. You ever hear someone say, I swear. I swear when I meet you at Crestwood Lake, I'm going to beat you up. That's always a high school conversation. I swear. If you do this, then I'm going to do that. But God says, I swear by my name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of earth will be blessed. I swear. I swear that what I promised you, how many years ago, that when you looked up to the sky and you saw all those stars, and I promised you every star in heaven, I swear that's going to come true. You have lived a faithful and obedient life, and I swear, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, in all your humanity and Abraham and all the stupid mistakes that you made in Egypt with Pharaoh and all these things, because of your obedience, I will bless you. Amen? I mean, are you getting jacked up right now? I mean, this, this is tough. I promise you. I promise you. I promise you that what I told you I was going to do, I am going to do it. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. All because you have obeyed me. 
Jehovah means the Lord. Jireh means provide. Provide is a verb. Little English class. Provide is a verb. The noun is prevision. To see beforehand. God saw beforehand the heart and the mind of Abraham. And God did not test Abraham to fail. He challenged Abraham to reveal to Abraham's heart God. The Lord who sees beforehand because He will provide. He will provide. He will prevision. He will see beforehand so He can bless me with His provisions. Let's flip this around. Let's go to Jesus' time real quickly and I'll wrap this up. There's another story of another person who had this heart who probably thought his heart was a lot like Abraham. I'll do anything. Give me more things and I'll do them. Give me my checklist and I'll, I'll, I'll rattle them off. And this guy came up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what must I do to gain everything you have, to have the blessings that you have for me, to live that life, and I'm just putting this in, like Abraham. And Jesus looked at him and he smiled. He said, you're a rich man. Give it all up. And follow me. I have something better for you. You see, this man had watched Jesus' life. He's seen everywhere Jesus has gone. He's heard of the stories. He's seen probably the deliverances. He heard about how God provided to feed over 12,000 people with five fish and five loaves. And he did this multiple times. He heard about all these things to the point that he said, I want that. And Jesus says, you can have this. But first, sacrifice what you value most. To Abraham, it was what? His son. His hope was built on nothing less than Isaac living that life that God would bless. And then you have the rich young ruler that, that had built for himself. And, and in many ways, if you study the rich young ruler, it, he, was probably, he probably inherited most of it and then was just very wise with it. But he built his hopes and his dreams on what he could control. And God said, these two things, I want you to give everything you have. They look completely different. To trust me. To know the perfect plan for your life. And you know what's so bizarre about this is that God only asks us to do what He is willing to do. Do you know that? That's why I almost hate talking about sacrifice in the beginning of, of my thing. Like, yeah, I sacrificed to be an athlete. Cool. Yeah, I sacrificed to go to school. Wow. Yeah, I've sacrificed. But it actually was all about me at the end of the day, right? Yeah, maybe if I play in the NFL, I can have a platform to share the Gospel. God's like, no. I'm usually wherever you are. 
Well, maybe if I have a better education. No, I, I use the, 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 the shameful things to shame the wise. Actually, the Bible says I use the dumb things to shame the wise. Abraham was willing to give up his, his son. And God was not going to let him do that. But what did God do? He gave up his son. He put him on the cross. And he sacrificed him so that we could experience eternal life. Not just up there, but to truly know what does it mean to follow God? What does it mean to truly follow God? And what does it truly mean to live in the blessings of God? You see, that's what it means to know God as Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That the things that He asks of me, I just give. Knowing that He's not only going to take them, but He's going to use them even beyond that I could ever experience. So what does this mean? It means yes, your life. It means yes, your vocation. It means yes, your relationships. It means yes, your children. It means yes, your finances. Ooh, I was okay with everything else but that. Yes. It means your time. Why did the Jewish people or the early church meet the very beginning of the week? Because they said, God, we're going to start our week with our first why does God say in Scriptures about tithes and offerings that you give your firsts, the first tense? You see, it's about learning that God would teach us that we would learn that God is our provider. And we all have decisions to make about every aspect of our life. But I know this, and I'll make it completely selfish about me. I want at the end of my life that God says, because my everything. That He sees beforehand and He's going to provide His provisions. I was thinking on the way here of the plant. We had a lot of people jump ship when we started. And I was just thinking about Susie Wilson. Because you've obeyed God, you've been blessed. I think about parenting. Scott Hosier and Mary Hosier, because you have obeyed God, you are blessed. I think about other people in, I, in this church, and I'm thinking like, because you obey God, you are blessed. I think about Brian and his brokenness in his worst place, a young man who was going through divorce, who in his obedience, God has blessed him. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, he not only provides, but he makes everything better. So as you come to the communion table this, this morning, this is the prayer. 
Jesus, I want to trust You as my Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And are you willing to trust Jesus with everything? Your life, your family, your vocation, your finances, your future. That's what he asked Abraham. And Abraham's invitation is no different than you or I's. I love the obedience of Abraham. But I hate what God asked him to do. Is that fair to say? I love the obedience of Abraham. But I hate what God asked him to do. So Jeremy, if you would come up.